But hear now the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, well, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declared to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, Many believed in him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Pray with me. Most merciful and gracious Lord, we come before you in need of your spirit. We need your spirit to come and apply these words to our hearts and to our minds. We pray that this morning through this, that you would encourage us to walk with you, that you would challenge us in the ways that we need to be challenged, and that you would bind us together as a community of love, a community of light, a community who follows your ways. May this be so for us, your children. We come before you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now, and forever. Amen. <clears throat> when I was uh, in high school, 
my family decided to take uh, a summer vacation, as families sometimes do. And we decided to take a summer vacation to Kentucky. I was voting on Hawaii, but Kentucky it was. You know, uh, sand and ocean or um, bourbon and horses, but I wasn't old enough for the bourbon, so it was just horses. And while we were there on this vacation, you know, you look at the little tour guide thing, and you're like, okay, what can we do? And then my parents say, hey, there's the mammoth caves. Those look cool. And so we spent a day going to the mammoth caves. And I don't know if you've seen these or heard of these, but it's this amazingly large uh, underground system of caves, one of the largest in the world. And so it's so large, you can't just walk into them by yourself. You have to hire a guide, and you kind of go in this little tour group, and they take you into them. And so we did the thing. We hired the guide get in a little group, and we start walking in, following this guide into the, into the cave. And he takes us down into the underbellies, and there's this giant cavern that we walk into. And then he says, hey, everyone, gather around, all right? Make sure you're on solid ground. Everyone needs to turn off their lights. So, all right. So everyone turned off their lights. And it was pitch black. I've never been in a darkness like this. Like, you could wave your hand in front of your face, and you could not see it. It was just utter darkness. And then our, our tour guide uh, slowly began to turn on his flashlight. And he didn't have a fancy flashlight. It wasn't one of those REI ones where you pull the trigger in the hole like, you know, it was just like a, you know, a dollar one from Walmart. He just flipped it on. It's just a little light bulb. And that one little light bulb just illuminated the entire cavern. You could see almost everything from just this one light. It was incredible. And then slowly, he began to guide us out of this uh, cavern uh, with his one light. And of course, the people that were standing next to him in the light could see a little bit better. The people in the back, you know, they, were, they couldn't get too far back or they'd get out of the light. So we kind of had the buddy system making sure we all got out of there. It'd be kind of a bummer to get lost down there. And so one by one, we all kind of gathered and we, or two by two, we all made it out. It was, it was an incredible experience uh, and the truth is, we live in a world that is spiritually kind of like these caves, where the light of Christ has come, and it's shining right now, filling the earth with his light, with his glory. And we celebrate that in the Advent season, right? We light the candles. It's the coming of the light of Christ, and we light the Christ candle on Christmas Eve, remembering that the light has come. It is shining in the darkness. It's leading us. Leading, us, leading his people. But darkness is also still a reality of this world. Shadows are still there. And some of us are living on the edge of the light, on the edge of the darkness, where you can see the light, but just maybe barely. And we're flirting with the ways of man. We wonder what, how much can I do? How much can I get away with and still kind of see the light? How far back from that light can I get and still kind of make my way? There's some of us here this morning. Others of us are actually quite near the light, but just the mere presence of this darkness is utterly daunting to you. You're overwhelmed by the darkness that you see in this world. You know, the darkness afar and the wars that are being fought and earthquakes and famine in the darkness that you see in your own life, in broken relationships, in friendships that have gone astray, in diseases that come and ravage our families. 
And so because of that, you, you're left to wonder, is this darkness eventually just going to overtake us all? Am I following this light, you know, all for naught? Is this really going to make, help us to guide us through the cavern of life? And it causes us to despair. So the question is, how do we stay close to that light? How do we walk in the light of the Lord, in the light of life, when temptations draw us away, when the hopelessness of the dark press in on our lives? To examine that question, we're going to ask three questions of our text this morning. We're going to ask three questions of our text this morning. The first question is this. Children, get out your pens. First question is this. What is the light? What is the light? You know, light itself is a rather kind of abstract idea. We understand, you know, some of it. You know, you turn on a light, like this room, you can see. If you turn off the lights, and if you didn't have giant windows in the back, you wouldn't be able to see. And so we kind of understand the light illuminates things, sure. But what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the light? What does that mean? Well, there's one amazing principle when it comes to reading the Bible that all of us is good for us to know, is that we let the Bible interpret the Bible. And so if something's unclear in one section, we look in other places in the Bible that talk about the concept of light. And thankfully, uh, the writer of this gospel, John, writes about light more than any other writer in the New Testament. And so we can look to one of his other letters where he writes extensively about what it means to walk in the light, to learn what it means when Jesus says, I am the light. And so to answer this question, I am the light, we're actually going to look at 1 John. So if you want to turn with me, you're welcome to. Uh, it's a few books to your right. Uh, towards the end of uh, the New Testament, we find the letter uh, 1 John. And in 1 John, uh, we, we begin to, to see the answers to the question of what is the light. The first answer to this question of what is the light is that light is fellowship. Light is fellowship. I'm going to read this from 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Light is fellowship with one another. Now, Fellowship can be a common word that we misunderstand. What does it mean to have fellowship? I guess it means we're friends or something. We like each other well enough. Uh, but fellowship has got a really uh, deep commitment level kind of meaning to it. It comes from the Greek word koinonia, which is a word that means family. It's a word household. It can also be used to describe the closeness of marriage. Fellowship with one another means a deep commitment to one another. It means that we're not trying to go about life on our own. This is not a solo faith that we live, but it's done in community with others, where people know us, and where we know them. Light is fellowship. And the thing about a community that knows each other, if a community knows each other, then it's a community that's going to confess its faults to one another as well. And this is the second aspect of what is light. Light is fellowship, and light is confessing our sin. I'm going to read to you the next couple of verses from this uh, 1 John 1, verses 8 through 9. If we say that we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, everyone in this room wants real, authentic, raw community, right? We all want to be connected to others. We want to be known. The challenge is actually having a community that you're actually connected to where you know them and they know you and you trust them and they trust you and you have a mutual kind of submission happening. That's the hard part. And it happens, I think, through confessing our sins to one another. Confessing our sins brings us into fellowship with one another because it brings us out of hiding. It brings us into a relationship with one another. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before where someone confessed a sin to you, but I've had it before where people have come and they've shared with me something they struggled with. And I never left there thinking, oh, what a worm. I thought, man, I want to confess my sins to you now. Like there was a vulnerability in them coming to me, and it, and it made me vulnerable to share my sins with them. And when I've done that, it brought great camaraderie and fellowship and community between us because we had shared a bit of our lives that we'd left hidden, and it exposed us in a beautiful way. And when we do that, we actually experience the mercy and the grace of God. See, when we conceal a sin, when we, when we fail to bring it out into the light, What we're doing is we're actually uh, taking away an opportunity for the light of Christ to to, to apply the mercies to our life. We're worried that, you know, whether or not we're going to be accepted. We're worried whether or not we're going to be forgiven. And so because of that, we're actually never able to hear the words that you are loved, that you're forgiven. And even though you're struggling right now, it doesn't change the way I think about you. And it certainly doesn't change the way God thinks about you. That's the sweetness, that's the kindness of the Lord, which leads to repentance. This idea is kind of how it was thought about in the Old Testament, too. Light was always leading us to salvation. Uh, We read it actually this morning, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. This conversation that's happening is happening on the heels of the Feast of the Tabernacle, where one of the things they remembered as where it's a whole feast, it's remembering the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. And one of the aspects that to remember in that is that one of the ways God led them was by light, by a pillar of light that led them by night. It's always, the light's always leading us from a place of bondage to a place of freedom, from a place of temptation to a place of salvation. And in that, it brings us fellowship. Confessing our sins, receiving the mercy of God. And fellowship and confession of sin lead us to the third and final answer to what is light. And it's that light is love. 1 John 2.10 says this. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Light is love. You know, love has become a bit of an abstract word that we use all the time. We throw it out there, and it kind of lacks some meaning. You know, we say, I love cheeseburger. I love French fries. I love my wife. 
one of these things is not like the others. Or, you know, I like cars, I like video games, I love God. You know, one of these things is not like the others. And so sometimes it's hard for us to always understand what does it mean to truly love a brother? What does it mean to truly love God? And later in the Gospel of John, in John 15, I think we see the answer when Jesus says these compelling and famous words that no greater love is there than this than when one lays down his life for his friends. Love is laying down your life for those around you. It's saying your needs are more important than my needs right now. It's saying, echoing Jesus' words in the Gospel of Mark, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. I have a, a friend who, uh, at every wedding he goes to, and he ends up being at a lot of weddings. I kind of think he might be a wedding crasher. But he always says one thing to both the groom and the bride. And after the, after the wedding ceremony in the uh, fellowship hall, wherever they're doing their feasting, he'll walk up to the groom first, and he just says the simple words, her first. And he'll walk up to the to the, bride, to the bride, and he'll say, him first. And could you imagine living in a community where we said that, and we actually acted like that? Where I said, you first, and you said, me first. Mutual submission, mutual self-giving to one another, truly seeking the benefit of my neighbor, where there was no jealousy, there was no envy, there was no strife, where we could truly rejoice with each other as we rejoice and weep with each other as we weep. I mean, isn't that the community we all want? I mean, isn't that the community that our world is striving for, trying to create on, online, which is maddening, right? We all want to be a place where people know what's happening in our life, and we know what's happening in others, without all that silliness, tempting us to be jealous and to want what they have, and for, for us to be worried about sharing what we have, because we're worried that other people might think something bad about it, and we play all these crazy mind games. And we don't have actual freedom. We don't have actual love for each other. Light is fellowship, it's confessing our sins, and it's love. And this illuminates our hearts, just like a flashlight illuminates the cavern. It guides us through the, through the dark world that we live in, just like our guide guided us through the caverns. Jesus is saying to the disciples, if you follow me, I am your light. I am your fellowship. If you walk with me, you will never be alone. When you confess your sins, you confess them to me, and my mercy will never run dry for you. My love will cover you. I will never grow weary of forgiving your sins, which leads to love, this love of Christ that will never be shaken that his sacrifice, his self-gifting of himself will never be taken back. And this is a beautiful picture. But there's a problem, is that we still live in a world with shadows. The darkness is still there, poking at our fellowship, poking at our confessions, poking at our love. And so how do we maintain this life in the light as we walk through the darkness of the world? This leads to the second question we're going to ask this morning. The second question is, what is darkness? What is 
darkness. You know, in some ways, this is a very simple answer. It's the opposite of light, right? And if we consider the answers to what is the light, and we just turn them around to give the opposite, we're actually going to get the answers to what darkness is. And so the first answer to what darkness is, is isolation. It's isolation. I'm going to read this from 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, when we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Where light brings us into fellowship and community, darkness pushes us to isolation and to being alone. Darkness separates us out. You know, when I was uh, a kid, because I would never do this anymore, uh, I used to throw myself pity parties all the time. You know, it would be something usually silly. It's like, you know, a girl maybe had a crush on, and she didn't look at me and didn't say hi to me. And so I'm like, ooh, I'm going to go throw a pity party and try to get her attention. And so I'd go sit in the corner and just pout. And of course, uh, spoiler alert for you guys, and that's not how you win a lady's heart. <laughs> uh, it never works. So... Um, And so the irony of this, though, is I would isolate myself, thinking that through that isolation, I would bring myself into community and fellowship with other people. But of course, that's not how it works. Fellowship happens when we give of ourselves and we actually are with other people, uh, which is a wild idea. And this is the, the sneaky part of darkness, is darkness isolates us, thinks we're better off on our own. And this happens in so many ways. I think one of the probably ways it happens the most for us is, you know, we have conflict with people. And conflict can, we, we think conflict's a bad thing, an abnormal thing in relationships, and so conflict happens, and then we just run to our corners. We don't want to engage with it because we think conflict's bad. Actually, conflict is, just means you are in relationship with people. <laughs> there's conflict in this church. There's conflict in your marriage. There's conflict with your children. There's conflict with your roommates. That means you're alive and you're breathing and you actually interact with people. It's not a bad thing. What it is, it's actually an opportunity to have fellowship, to have love, to have confession of sin, to have a self-giving of yourself. It's an opportunity to grow in the light. Unfortunately, oftentimes when this happens, it pushes us apart and we actually get pushed into the darkness instead. Which leads us to the second aspect of what darkness is. Darkness is isolation, which leads to hiding. If walking in the light is bringing our sins out, and, and out then darkness is hiding our sins. The darkness says to you, listen, the thing that you're struggling with, you cannot tell anybody. It says to you, if you tell somebody about what you're struggling with, you're out. And so we keep these secrets in our hearts and we hide them. And we think that we can have true fellowship while keeping these things together. In fact, we actually think that it's keeping these things hidden that brings us true fellowship. Because if someone knew what I was struggling with, they would not want to fellowship with me. And I know that there's people in this room that are believing those lies. There's people here, some of you are struggling and hiding sin. Things that are ripping you up apart, but you think that you've got to conceal it. Friends, that is not how we gain fellowship. Fellowship comes by finding a brother and a sister and sharing your heart, sharing your struggles, revealing what's in, and letting them be the balm of the mercy of Christ in your life to let you know that nothing can separate you from his love. The other hard part about this 
is that some of you have shared your heart with people and you've been hurt. And the church hasn't been the balm to your soul. And that's hard. But regardless of how other people have treated you, I can promise you this. Christ's love has never run dry for you. His mercy never runs out. And sometimes we have to go through the process of realizing that we only realize that God is enough for me, that my fellowship with God is enough for me, until God is all that you have in your life. And so if that is you, I implore you to confess your sins. Find someone that you can trust. And let the light of Christ shine into the darkness of your heart. The third thing that the darkness is, is hate. Darkness is hate. John 1, 2, 9 says this. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So where fellowship leads to confession, which leads to love, here we find that uh, isolation leads to hiding, which leads to hate. I think we actually experience this all the time in our own relationships. We're, you know, we're isolated from people, and so we think that those people are probably talking about us, and maybe they're conspiring against us, and they're probably going to go throw a party and not invite us because they don't like us. And so you start to kind of get into your head a little bit. Uh, and we start to believe all sorts of crazy things about what's happening. And it actually leads us to a place of hate. But what we need is we need to allow uh, conflict to drive us together so we can actually experience relationship and community But when we're isolated from people, when we don't know them, when we're hiding and dealing with all this conflict inside of ourselves, we we aren't able to actually love them, and so we hate them, which is to say that we serve ourselves instead of serving others. We turn inward. We're just in protection mode, just trying to protect everything inside, and we let everything else go, and who cares what happens to anybody else? I'm just worried about what happens to me. And we self-protect to the point where we never share anything with anyone. And our problem is that as much as that we know that isolation, that hate, that hiding aren't good for us, it's like, you know, you can go to McDonald's drive-thru, but you know it's probably not good for you, but you're going to do it anyways because it's there and, you know, probably I'm a little addicted to it, so it's like I do it. Um, it's not good for us. But it still appeals to us. In some crazy way, our heart is still drawn to the darkness. Like Jesus says in John 3, he says, you know, men love the darkness more than the light. And that is a truth we have to face, that we still love the darkness sometimes more than the light, even though it doesn't make any sense. And then we're tricked actually into thinking that the darkness is the light. We start to question whether or not that light is really strong the darkness is, is creeping in on us so thick that we're like, maybe we're following the wrong thing. If this is hard, maybe we're not going the right direction is the question we can ask ourselves. So how do we fight this battle against the darkness? How do we fight this enemy that we can't see? This is the third question, final question is this. How do we move from darkness to light? How do we move 
from darkness to light? And the answer to this question is both profoundly simple and profoundly difficult. We have the answer back in our passage that I'm supposed to be preaching on. <laughs> in John chapter 8, he says this in verse 23 to 24. He's saying to the Pharisees, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The way from darkness to light is belief. It's belief. It's believing that he is who he said he was, that he is the I am. That he is life itself. So how do we, how do we grow into belief? We find the answer to that in Jesus' last statement here. In verse 28, it's after they're really confused and they say, who are you? Which is a profound question that we all need to ask. Who are you? And what Jesus answers in verse 28 is this. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. The way we grow in our belief is by beholding the crucified Christ. When it says, when you will see me when I'm lifted up, He's saying, you will, see, you will know who I am when I am on that cross. You know, we actually see this in the Gospel of Mark, at the very end of the Gospel of Mark. No one really recognizes who Jesus is truly until he's lifted up on the cross. After he breathes his last breath and the, and the world shakes, the centurion soldier standing there, participating in the crucifixion, says, surely this was the Son of God. It wasn't until he was beaten, broken, bruised, hanging, dying, seeming like life was defeated, that his light was actually shining the brightest. And that he changed the world. Belief comes for us when we behold that crucified Christ. The one who died, the one who rose again, and the one who will come again. And it was in his darkest moment that his light shined the brightest. And it's the same as for us when we behold that risen Christ. When we see him as he is, that he is Messiah, Savior, Emmanuel. We grow in the light. Where once our fellowship with God was, was broken, on the cross, our fellowship with God was restored. And when we behold the Christ who was lifted up, we are brought into the light as we confess our sins, we confess them to him, knowing that as he conquered the cross and death, he also can conquer our sins and our struggle with the darkness and our pain. When we behold the Christ who is lifted up, we are brought into the light as we learn the way of love, the way of giving of ourselves, living for the life of the world because we have witnessed love incarnate give his life for us. The truth is, this is an everyday battle for us. This is not just a one and done, I believe in the light and now I'm in the light, although that is true, but we have to grow into the light day by day, picking up our cross, following him, and knowing that his light does not go out. His light is stable. His light is always there through the darkest of nights. If you look, if you behold him, his light will never lead you astray. It will never lead you off a cliff. It'll lead you true and straight to the darkest of storms. And that's maybe one of the greatest encouragements that we have. is both the knowledge that we do live in a dark world, 
where dark things happen. And then we have hope because Christ is with us in the midst of it, leading us, guiding us to safety, guiding us through. And allows us to rest in him knowing that he will never let us down. May we be the kind of people who can hold fast, who can be a beacon of the light of Christ as we receive the light of Christ, to Bellingham and from there to the ends of the world. Pray with me.